America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that there is great hysteria. I mean, beyond even imagining. Not about the situation in Ukraine, which actually merits some hysteria. Not about the new Biden budget with its uh, brand new billionaires tax. We'll be talking about that with Steve Forbes of Forbes magazine, former presidential candidate who has his own ideas about how the tax system should change. Uh, but uh, really, right now, there's debate about whether Vladimir Putin is basically faking a retreat, is basically faking a willingness to compromise but actually in the process outsmarting uh, the American strategists. Uh, that might not be impossible. Hard to imagine that the Ukrainians, who are st staking everything on these negotiations, are completely outsmarted or fooled by Putin. We will get to what is going on. We'll also talk about Israel's connection to actually settling this thing. Israel wants to play a role in helping to guarantee Ukraine's independence and survival, at the same time that it maintains good relations with Russia. How is that working out? We'll talk to my brother from Jerusalem, Jonathan Medved, uh, coming up uh, this hour on the Michael Medved Show. And it turns out that one of the hosts on Oscar night says she is traumatized and still triggered by the horror, the nightmare of watching Will Smith smack or slap or punch uh, Chris Rock across the face on Sunday night. And uh, then there's a description in the New York Post that says, all that stuff you've heard about uh, Vladimir Putin and mental illness, it's true. They describe him as the struggling strongman and suggest he is being lied to by his inner circle. Uh, by, the, by the way, I think that stories like that about Putin being manipulated by his inner circle, which, by the way, is afraid to breathe around him. I mean, sit at the other side of the table, far distant. Uh, I, I wish Putin only misery and complete failure in his evil schemes. But I don't think it's uh, clear that uh, somehow he's being manipulated by others. That's just a, a basically a press setup, a propaganda disinformation setup for liquidating some of that inner circle, which he has been known to do. Uh, okay, first up, despite Russia's announcement that it's going to be pulling back forces from around Ukraine's capital of Kiev and the... Uh, as also as well the northern city of Chernihiv. Uh, the explosions were heard in Kyiv this morning. That's according to the BBC report. The governor of Donetsk Oblatsk, uh, that is part of that territory in the Donbass in the eastern part of Ukraine that the Russians are claiming is an independent republic. Uh, the governor of that territory said uh, today that Russian forces were shelling several towns and cities on the border that separates Ukrainian and Russian controlled areas in the region. 
More than four million people have fled Ukraine since the start of the war, according to the United Nations. Um, there is uh, also this uh, in terms of what Don Lemon reported from uh, Ukraine uh, about Russian uh, shells, which uh, basically has to do with whether or not the U.S. Pentagon is accepting the Kremlin claims that uh, they are basically reducing the fighting. This is a clip 16. I am live in Lviv in western Ukraine, where there have been air raid sirens earlier tonight, despite how far west into the country we are. Keep hearing sirens throughout the night as well, along with heavy artillery and rocket fire. We're seeing Russian shells with our very own eyes, even though Vladimir Putin's government claims Russian forces will drastically reduce their assault. It's no wonder the Pentagon is skeptical. President Biden says he is skeptical of Russia's claims to the evidence backing that skepticism adding up. Uh, yeah, and uh, there is uh, yet more skepticism. Uh, there was the top U.S. general in Europe at the moment, Todd Walters, spoke at a congressional hearing yesterday and said there may have been uh, an intelligence gap that led to an overestimation of Russian capabilities in Ukraine. Here he is speaking to Congress, uh, clip 15. Intelligence gap in our capability that made us overestimate the Russians and underestimate um, the defensive capability of the Ukrainians. Senator, there, there, there could be, and as we've always done in the past, when, when this crisis is over with, we, we will accomplish a, a comprehensive actor action review in, in all domains and in all departments and find out where our weak areas were and make sure that we can find ways to improve. And, and this could be one of those areas. Okay, and right now when it comes to an intelligence gap, what are the Russians doing right now? There's a report from the scene by Stephen Erlanger in the New York Times. Uh, Russia may be using the peace talks to buy time, analysts say. Uh, he writes that as envoys made progress in peace talks on Tuesday, be yesterday, Russia offered concessions that signaled a more realistic course for the war in Ukraine, while indicating it is also in no hurry to end the conflict, according to diplomats and analysts. But the Russian advance in the north has already stalled, with troops around Kiev taking up defensive positions in the face of Ukrainian counterattacks, both there and near Sumy, where Russia has been having trouble encircling the main Ukrainian army east of the Dnieper River. A de-escalation is a euphemism for retreat, said Lawrence Friedman, whose commentary, by the way, throughout this conflict has been excellent. He's an um, emeritus professor of war studies at King's College London. Russia, he writes, is uh, adjusting its goals to reality because war is quite empirical. It's not a ruse to say that uh, they are concentrating on the Donbass because in reality, that's all they can do. But retreat is hardly surrender, and others caution that the progress made Tuesday doesn't mean that Russia is ready for serious discussions on ending the war. 
That would require a better outcome for President Vladimir V. Putin uh, of Russia to sell at home as a victory. The uh, Francois Hitzburg, a French defense analyst with the Foundation for Strategic uh, Research, said Russia is in no place to negotiate seriously because they have to do better in the war. They have to do that before they negotiate for real. This is a chance for the Russians, he said, to consolidate, to regroup, to remove themselves from places out of reach logistically where they have already run out of food and ammunition. Some senior Western officials agreed, saying that the Russians were badly short of artillery. And speaking of short of artillery, there's a very, very important editorial today about the Biden underfunding of defense. And I know, I know, I know, all the publicity about the Biden budget that he submitted at the beginning of this week was about how, how there will be an increase for defense. It's historic increases for defense. It's not nearly enough. The Wall Street Journal has an outstanding analysis of this, and we are so far behind in terms of developing the weapons we need to keep us safe against any future uh, adventures or assaults or threats to the United States to follow from this Ukraine invasion. We will get to that and what we need to spend and how we find the money for it. Coming up on the MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. President Biden has informed President Zelensky that the United States plans to provide 500 million in direct aid to Ukraine. Not sure yet how much of that direct aid will be helping to relieve some of the suffering of refugees and, and others with some 4 million Ukrainians already uh, leaving the country, at least temporarily, and many of them permanently, of course, uh, to find shelter elsewhere because of the lack of safety. However, for people who actually speak to Ukrainians on the street, the determination to fight on and to defend their independence and freedom uh, is undiminished and continues to be fervent and unshakable. Uh, there's a, um, a powerful piece uh, syndicated by the Washington Post by uh, Max Boot. And Max Boot is great on these issues. He was born in Russia and came here in, to the United States where he's a great American patriot. He's been here since he was a little boy. But... Um, Max writes, Russia is retreating. Now give Ukraine the tools to finish the job. We will get to that, but there's a, a another extremely important piece in the Wall Street Journal, the lead editorial today on America's declining military. Now, look, this is an emergency. If you look at the world right now and the concerns that we have, not just with Russia, and where the Russians will decide to make trouble next, and it will be somewhere. And, but with China, which has the capability of causing a vast amount of trouble, of course, people worry about them attacking uh, Taiwan. There are all kinds of other places where they are making territorial claims. They basically 
want to claim the entire South China Sea as a Chinese lake uh, with no other boat traffic or uh, naval forces permitted. But uh, here's what uh, the uh, journal has to say. It says, Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine has alerted most Americans that the world is becoming a far more dangerous place. Counted as a befuddling failure, then, that the military budget President Biden unveiled Monday doesn't meet the moment. It treads water amid inflation and invites autocrats to exploit a widening window of American weakness. The Pentagon is seeking $773 billion for fiscal 2023, and spending on national defense reaches $813 billion when other accounts are included. Now, this sounds large, and Mr. Biden is pitching it as a big increase over his request last year. But even defense officials say the Pentagon would only see a 1.5% real increase over last year's funding after inflation. Because they have inflation, too, when they're trying to buy uh, equipment, food, everything else you need to keep a powerful military in the field. Defense spending will still be about 3.1% of the economy, close to post-Cold War lows, and heading lower over the next decade, which is a disaster. And uh, the, the point that they make in terms of what needs to be done... He says, the overall budget picture is that the Biden team is betting on weapons that don't yet exist for a war they hope arrives on somebody else's watch. They want to save money now in order to spend on what they say will be a more modern force a decade from now. To this end, the 298-ship U.S. Navy could buy only nine ships next year while retiring 24. The fleet would shrink to 280 ships in 2027. That's down from 298 ships now. Even as the Navy says it needs a fleet of 500 to defeat China in any conflict. That trend won't impress Xi Jinping as he eyes Taiwan. As for the Army, Mr. Putin's revanchism will require more forward deployments by the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Down the Alliance will need more troops and hardware in the Baltics, and much of this will have to come from the land branch. But the Army is seeking $177 billion, barely up from the $174 billion last year, and a cut if you count inflation. Now, given the profound need for the U.S. military, given the willingness of our allies, including Germany this time, and including France, including Netherlands and Denmark and Norway to and Australia, that's not even a NATO country, to sharply increase their defense spending, the United States can do no less, you, you would think. Here is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham talking about the same point, the need to have a more realistic defense component in any budget that Congress can agree on with the president. Uh, listen to Senator Graham. In the president's budget, non-defense spending goes up 11.3% in 2022 and 23. Defense goes up 4%. Now, giving the threats we face, does that make any sense? The answer is no. Uh, the answer is no, and an emphatic no, as the Wall Street Journal points out. Uh, at the end, strength would fall in the U.S. Army 
to 473,000 from 585,000 authorized last year. The Army shrugs because it hasn't been able to fill all of its spots in a hot labor market. This may relieve a recruiting headache for some general, but it won't reduce the threats the Army may now have to address in multiple theaters. As for the Air Force, the Air Force is, quote, now the smallest, oldest, and least ready it has been in its 75-year history, as the Air Force Association put it last week. But the Pentagon plans to cut its buy of F-35 fighter jets this year. The Air Force wants 33 F-35s, down from 48 requested in years past, which was still too few to upgrade the fleet in any reasonable time. In a future conflict, the U.S. will need these advanced aircraft to survive against sophisticated air defenses. Reducing purchases will put pressure on the supply chain and raise the per cost cost, the per craft cost of the uh, aircraft. These hard power priorities were squeezed in order to request, with great self-congratulation, and you're going to love this, a 3.1 billion dollars as part of our military budget for climate change. Isn't that wonderful? This is uh, consistent with a White House that wants to create a civilian climate corps that would have more personnel than the Marine Corps. Okay, what do you think is a bigger priority right now? More Marines or more civilian climate corps volunteers? Uh, this $3.1 billion could be spent on weapons. The Navy's ship retirements save $3.6 billion over five years, and the country needs that offensive power more than it does electric vans. A couple of more questionable decisions. The administration appears to have canceled a program to develop a nuclear sea-launched cruise missile, missile, precisely the kind of weapon designed to deter Mr. Putin from using tactical nuclear weapons in Europe. So what would Israel do? What is Israel doing right now to um, try to broker some kind of deal involving Putin and Zelensky? And what about those attacks that have been shattering the peace in Israel? We'll get to that with my brother, Jonathan Medved from Jerusalem, coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. There's lots of good economic news uh, from Israel. There's good news on a, a number of fronts, but not necessarily on the terror front. There have been uh, three terrorist attacks uh, involving cars, knives, and most recently uh, some uh, semi-automatic weapons, which are not easy to come by for potential terrorists in Israel. And also Israel has been mentioned prominently as one of the nations that might help to solve the Ukrainian uh, passionate defense of their independence and liberty. To get a perspective on all of this, um, keeping my brother Jonathan up late at night in uh, Jerusalem, and Jonathan is uh, deeply involved in uh, Israeli politics, public affairs. He is the CEO of our crowd, which gives people an opportunity to um, 
to actually crowdsource, invest in Israeli high-tech and high-tech ventures and startups uh, around the world, including the European Union and very much the United States. Uh, Jonathan, with that introduction, uh, thanks for staying up. It's great to talk to you, Michael. Thank you. So, first of all, what's what's the deal with Israel being named together with Turkey? Uh, Ukraine has suggested that those two nations, and perhaps others, uh, serve as guarantors of an agreement that they would reach with Vladimir Putin. Does Israel want this job? I think that uh, our prime minister has proactively tried to negotiate between the two sides and uh, this is a result of Israel having strong ties both with Russia and with Ukraine, mostly based on population, right? We have uh, a couple million people here who hail from one of these two countries. A lot of people speak the languages. And I think we are trusted uh, by both sides. I think that uh, Israel voted at the U.N. Uh, against Russia, you know, for Ukraine in their you know, key resolution. Public opinion here is strongly with the Ukraine, but the government has gone a long way to try and, and maintain as much uh, relationship with both sides, especially because we have a problem on our northern border where the Russians are very active in Syria, and we're constantly trying to prevent Hezbollah and their Iranian patrons from moving missiles on our border. So we don't really want to upset them or poke the bear, as it were. So we're in a sort of a situation where we're pretty much one of the few countries that can really do this. And our Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, has uh, sort of stepped into this void. And look, anybody who could actually bring this outrage and horror to a halt, God bless them, in my opinion. And you mean the outrage and horror in Ukraine, of course. Uh, where yes. our family comes from, as my listeners know. Um, it would, uh, John, in terms of uh, the the other situation in Israel right now, the uh, uh, New York Times headline says, Palestinian guns down five in latest attack in Israel. Now, usually when you have these attacks, they're responding to something. Is this just responding to the holy month of Ramadan, which is coming up? Yeah, this is sort of, uh, it's, it's different this time. First of all, it, uh, the first two attacks were conducted by people who actually were not part of any Palestinian terror group, but they were supporters of ISIS. And it actually sat in Israeli jails and by some crazy notion were released and then able to carry out these attacks. What's bizarre and, and, and sad about the attacks is that they are not just against Jews. They're against everybody who lives here uh, together. So this recent attack, which killed five people in B'nai Brak, um, killed two Ukrainian workers here, two Ukrainians. Wow. It killed an Arab Christian policeman who was the first to respond and, and bravely sort of went into the breach and actually killed the uh, the terrorist, but died of his own wounds. Tomorrow, he's 32 he's, years old. His, uh, Amir Khoury, his, his funeral tomorrow will be attended by thousands and maybe tens of thousands of Jews, many of them religious Jews from B'nai Brak, 
paying homage to this hero who stood for coexistence and for Arabs and Jews, Christians, Muslims, Jews, all working together. Uh, one of the people who was killed yesterday was a father of 29 years old who uh, had taken his two-year-old in a stroller out for a walk because he wasn't going to sleep, and his pregnant wife needed quiet. He came downstairs, he encountered the terrorist, and then he protected his two-year-old son with his body and paid for that with his life. In the one of one of the attacks. amazing, I'm sorry. Um, one of the amazing things that that I saw was that uh, uh, apparently the Arab reaction and the reaction by Mansour Abbas, who is a leader of an Islamist party in the Israeli uh, government, and he is in the government. He denounced the terrorism completely, and surprisingly, the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, who's no relation. Uh, also had a pretty strong statement saying that this is uh, offensive to everyone who lives here in the in the area. This kind of random yeah. crime, shooting people. Look, we're 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 in a different situation, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand the context. Last year in 2021 was the lowest toll of death from terror in history. You know, for the last decades. And that's including the 13 people who died in the War of the Guardians of the Walls. There were a total of 17 people who died last year. It's still way too many, but we have, you know, three, 400 who die in car accidents. So well, last it's more year, than you know, that every weekend in Chicago. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good, but things have been very quiet here. And in fact, the, the winds of history have been moving towards reconciliation. You know, just this week we had this incredible summit in Beersheba, which was a site of one of the attacks. It wasn't in Beersheba, it was actually Stabokir, which is the historic uh, place that Ben-Gurion lived, where you had the foreign ministers of the UAE, of Morocco, of Egypt, and Bahrain joining hands with the Israeli foreign minister and Anthony Blinken from the U.S. saying all everyone is working for reconciliation we are against hatred and all of those people condemn the attack the statement from the uae was incredible and it was tweeted out in arabic in english in hebrew and and this is different right we're in a situation where people are noticing that arab policemen are dying on the front lines fighting for terror in the previous attack in Hadera, which started this a week ago, there were two uh, border police or soldiers who were, were killed. One of them was a Druze, you know, part of an Arab breakaway sect, okay, again, fighting for Israel. There are thousands and thousands of Arab Muslims and Christians and Druze in the Israeli armed forces. And what, what we're facing now is much more a completely crazy fringe that doesn't get this, that wants to kill everybody. I mean, they were celebrating and talking about the heroic attack that killed the settlers in B'nai Brak, the Ukrainian workers, a settler. The yeah, and Arab that, Christian that, police that was, it was a the statement by Hamas. It wasn't from the Palestinian Authority, right? And then Hamas called it a heroic action. Who, you know, or, look, unfortunately... Can you hang, can you hang for, for another quick segment, John? Sure. 
Great. Stay with us. Jonathan Medved uh, from Jerusalem, uh, CEO of Our Crowd. You can certainly find out more about his very exciting business. Go to michaelmedved.com. Click on the banner. We'll be right back. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's, it's dangerous for America. It's dangerous for the world. This is The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, just uh, an opportunity, and it's a, a, a personal opportunity as well as one for the show and for our listeners and for our larger family. I, uh, I love talking to my brother because he knows as much about what's going on in Israel as anybody and a lot more than most reporters who haven't lived there for more than 35 years, as as Jonathan has. Um, one of the things that I think uh, uh, the American people haven't gotten used to the idea that Israel is run by somebody other than Bibi than uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is now a leader of the opposition. Uh, would it be fair to say that uh, there has been a certain level of surprise at some of the successes of this new crazy coalition government, which includes some very hard-line right-wing parties and some parties on the left? And they actually seem to be managing together pretty well, no? Yeah, it's it's it is surprising, and uh, I think that many people had not expected this government to last more than a couple of weeks or months. But it seems as though uh, they're hanging tough, and um, it'll be interesting to see. There's a rotation planned, where the current prime minister Naftali Bennett is due to turn over control to uh, Yair Lapid, who's serving as the foreign minister, and that's going to happen uh, rather you know shortly, and we'll see how that transition goes, but it, it, it's really reduced the, the tone and the sort of the angst and, the, and, the, and just the loudness of discourse in the country. And I think there's a, a big part of the country, even people who voted for the Likud and Netanyahu, who appreciate sort of the more mellow environment. The country's doing great, okay? We went through the pandemic well, relatively. We were early leaders in vaccination, uh, very, very low death rate, uh, you know, in Israel relative to other countries. And the economy bounced back tremendously. And, of course, given the um, size of our digital economy and our whole high-tech startup economy, um, we ended up coming out, you know, stronger than ever. Uh, the uh, you know, economy grew at 8% in the fourth quarter. It was, you know... Eight percent GDP growth. GDP growth. Yeah. I mean, Holy cow! Are, well, oh, have been, yeah, okay. There, there's quite a, the uh, quite remarkable. I was going to mention this to you. You probably saw it, but the UN, uh, working together with the Gallup organization worldwide, came out with their list. They rated 140 countries as the happiest and the least happy country. The least happy country surprise is Afghanistan under the tender leadership of the Taliban. Uh, but the the most happy country, um, they're, they're all Scandinavian countries plus Switzerland plus in ninth place, 
ninth happiest country in the world, the only non-Scandinavian or Swiss country, Israel. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, well, just tell your listeners to go see the movie Don't Mess with the Zohan, and, and you'll see <laughs> sort of – Israelis have a joie de vivre that even when you get punched – or God forbid, there's a terrorist attack. We come back. We, you know, we realize that life is short, and you should celebrate life and and count your blessings, and you shouldn't roll over and 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 take, you know, tragedy, uh, and 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 allow it to ruin your life. Okay, it's about choosing life, about overcoming tragedy, about turning curses into blessings. Okay, today I was at. Uh, Israel Aircraft visiting their satellite uh, production facility. Israel has a huge satellite business. When, you know, we're a tiny country, but we shoot satellites into the air, and we shoot missiles out of the air. And I was <laughs> asking, why are we so good at little satellites? And they told me, well, you know why? Because we can't fire the satellites the normal way. You have to fire to the east because that gives you the way that the Earth turns. It gives you like an acceleration. If we did that, they would land over some of our less interested Arab neighbors. So we've always fired to the West, which means we have to create satellites that are small. And so whether it's water, we don't have any, and we develop technology, or, or we don't have a, you know, a big local market, we have to go global, or we have to serve in the Army, which we all do, but we turn that into an entrepreneurial training ground, Israel, whether you believe the Bible or not, is very strong at turning curses into blessings. And one of those is, you know what? Try to kill us. They, you, know, they, you know the definition of a of Jewish holiday. The joke is that they tried to kill us. They didn't succeed. Now let's eat. Okay? So, you know, <laughs> Which everyone they, will be celebrating with the Passover coming up in about two weeks. Yeah. But go ahead. Uh, the one thing, uh, Jeremy just sent this to me, and he wanted me to ask you the question. Do you think that Biden would ever say this uh, about Americans confronting our crime wave. Uh, headline, uh, Bennett, that's the prime minister, urges Israeli gun owners to strap up amid this murderous terror wave. Uh, well, I don't know if how President Biden would respond, but here, you know, people who are gun owners are creators of safety. Our gun owners are people who come and it's very hard to get a gun here by the way there is strict gun control even though there are a lot of guns around because we we all serve in the army uh... to get a gun outside of your army service is difficult and the people who have it you trust them and in fact in three of these terror attacks bystander of uh, two of the three bystanders put down the terrorists and what i think the people, prime minister bennett used the term liquidated well, you know, it's called neutralized. That's, uh, but the, the bottom line is that guns keep us safe. And when we see a soldier in the, in the street, we're thankful. We feel good. We know he's someone's child. And they know what they're fighting for because they're fighting on the front lines, which are 15 minutes away. And so, uh, yes, you know, uh, uh, everybody I know who has a gun is carrying it now because things are a little dicey. But we'll get over this. And uh, what's amazing now is that, believe it or not, the tourists are back. And, you know, the airport's open. You can't get flights in or out. It's really busy. The restaurants are full. And despite this 
of three attacks, okay, the country is continuing to thrive. Do you know how many people have made Aliyah or immigration to Israel in the last month? 10,000. 10,000 immigrants. So the people who are crazy, who think they can stop us and kill 11 people, you know, uh, three policemen, two foreign workers, you know, uh, Druze, Arab, guess what? 10,000 people just showed up here to join in building this country. You are losing. You are not winning. Israel moves forward. I'll main to that. There's uh, also, uh, there was an announcement that Israel is taking 18,000 non-Jewish Ukrainian refugees uh, who have chosen to go to Israel, not to Poland or Slovakia or to the Czech Republic. Isn't that kind of surprising? Uh, you know what? We we can handle it. We're a big country now. We're almost 10 million people. When I got here, Michael, there were 2 million. The country has got tremendous vibrancy. Everybody's having kids. The average birth rate for uh, women in this country is 3.2 now. Okay, as you know, we've got n another one, God willing, on the way. And uh, you know what? It's a family-oriented society, and... Uh, you know, we can we can provide refuge. That's the equivalent, by the way, in terms of, you know, uh, population of the Americans taking 600,000 Ukrainians. And by the way, Slava Ukraina, you know, th these people who are fighting for their freedom and for their lives deserve all of our respect and help. And to, you know, host refugees, I think, is a huge mitzvah, is a huge commandment to take care of the the poor and the uh, the people who need refuge, and, and today the Ukrainians certainly need that. Well, they need they need our help. They need, uh, and this is a point that Max Boot uh, makes. They need weapons so they can uh, finish the job. Uh, Jonathan, um, you know we're going to be together for Passover with our uh, one of our other brothers, uh, Harry Medved. But we will miss you and uh, look forward either in Israel or maybe maybe even here in the northwest of the United States to getting our families uh, together again soon for the Passover holiday. Uh, and uh, you should have just the most wonderful week and the wonderful spring season. And with peace and security and, uh, you're right, Slava Ukraina. Uh, the glory be to Ukraine and their struggle, uh, which really benefits the whole world, but in particular, this greatest nation on God's green earth. Have you heard about Vine to Barge?